Hi there. Welcome to the Broke Girl Society podcast. I'm Christina. And today's episode, you're going to recognize the voice if you listen to a lot of gambling recovery podcasts. He was one of the first ones to put one out. And I remember listening to his podcast when I was first starting recovery. And it just it started the the idea of maybe putting a podcast out to give women who are struggling in recovery for gambling addiction a voice and to help them feel not not so alone in this addiction. So we have Brian Hatch, who is the voice behind the All In, the Addicted Gamblers podcast. And I'm so excited for this conversation and this interview. We get to hear about his journey of addiction and recovery, uh, how his podcast is a majority of his recovery, and just all the good things he's done and plans on doing. So listen in. It's a really great conversation. Hey, Brian, thanks for being on the podcast today. Oh my gosh, Christina. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I just wanted to have a chat with you just about different things, a little bit about your story and maybe just kind of some different opinions on, on gambling addiction and just, just a general conversation about it because you've been in it for so long and I know I've told you, but you were the inspiration behind my podcast for the Broke Girl Society. And you were the first podcast I listened to when I started recovery and was just looking for anything to connect myself with gambling addiction recovery and those types of things. So it was really great when I actually got to meet you for the first time and now you're here. So, um, do you want to share some of your story? Yeah, I will. Um, I want to say, first of all, thank you for having me and you, uh, were you and Tara and, um, Tiffany and Danielle were so nice to do that crossover episode that you did and say hi to Jeff and I, uh, we, we love that. And I, I, I love that you're doing this podcast. Again, I keep, I've said it a few times. I don't keep saying it, but like, I'm a 39 year old white guy. I have a voice that people can listen to, but other people need to talk as well. And so I'm so glad that you have something called the broke girl society to bring female gamblers in and other people in as well. I mean, I listen to it and I, I think everything is valuable. It's not just for females, but I love that it's um, specifically geared towards females. Cause again, females gamble as well. And yeah, somebody to listen to who can talk about these things and you do a wonderful job. So kudos to you for starting the podcast. That's a, it's a big commitment and, <laughs> and you jumped right in and I, I'd love that people are reaching out to you to come on and share their stories. I, I, I think your voice is amazing and I, I wish you all the best with it. So that's what I want to say first. And thank you for everything. Well, thank you. Um, I, my story was, you know, I started gambling. I was 18 at, I was in college, a freshman in college. I didn't really want to go to college, but I went cause everybody else went friend of mine said, Hey, let's go to the casino. Oh yeah, that's right. We're 18. We can go to the tribal casino up in Mount Pleasant. And uh, a handful of us went, started playing blackjack, really enjoyed blackjack. Next thing I know, my, my next visit, I was there alone just by myself going. And then that continued through my freshman year of college, uh, called the 800 number, probably about three months after gambling, realizing, Oh, this isn't right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to class. I'm late to work and I don't have any money. So uh, calling the 800 number, I lied to them, not lied. I led them astray and just said, oh, I'm writing a paper about gambling. And I just wanted to send me information. I, I'm sure they get that all the time with people, but I got the information. I looked at the 20 questions, the same 20 questions that are in GA are roughly the same. And, you know, it says more than seven of these chances are that you're in trouble. And I was in trouble. It was definitely more than seven. And from that point on, I just sort of ignored that and kept gambling because I thought I'm too young to have a gambling addiction. This is crazy. And then when I got to be 24, had been, you know, I would gamble whatever money I had. So 
sometimes I would pay the bill. Sometimes I wouldn't, it was off and on, it was up and down. And then around 24, a friend of mine, I went to the casino with a rare opportunity to go with somebody else. He, we walked out and he said, you have a gambling problem. You really need to get help. And I was like, that's the first time I knew it. I knew it, but I was trying to win my way out of it. And that was the first time another human had said it to me. And I thought, oh, this is, this is different. Somebody else is recognizing this behavior in me. So that's when I went to my first GA meeting. And then it took me another year and a half to go to my second GA meeting, um, gambled to harm in there. And I, I was good for about two and a half years. And then I stopped going to my GA meeting. I went once a week, sometimes twice a week, but for the most part, once a week. And I was accountable and loyal to those people in that room because they really saved me at that time. And then um, I decided that I was tired, didn't want to go. And so I stayed home. And then the next week I was tired again, didn't want to go. And then I got complacent and I just said, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to go. And within a few months I was gambling again. It took me six months to get back in GA and I was good for another while. Um, and then my father died and I, I started gambling again. And uh, I mean, I gambled because of the pain, but I also gambled um, and I used the pain as an excuse to gamble, which is not great. Right. As, a, as a human being to gamble because somebody else died, but to use it as an excuse, it, it really made me feel poorly. Um, and that sort of lasted. I mean, I stopped again. I, I told people right away and then stopped again, but it just sort of, it, that relapse was longer than what I had anticipated. Cause then I moved to another state, California, and then I was driving to Las Vegas and I gambled to harm a lot, great deal of harm out there. And that's where I stopped. My last bet was July 23rd of 2014. It was at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. Yeah, you remember, do you remember that moment exactly? Like when you were like, you knew that a uh, switch had flipped and you were done? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, because you feel, I felt done much earlier in the evening. As you, it's, it's like when I gambled, I would, I would go into the casino with money that I, I'd gone to the ATM and then I'd gone to the gas station to buy cigarettes because I smoked and I gambled. And then I would go to the casino, I'd use up all the cash. And then I would go to the ATM there and take my account down to the bare minimum. And then I would start using my credit card at the credit card machine. And this was one of those, it was that, it was that you go to this, you go to this, you go to this. And then eventually it was, you know, I'm sitting on a couple hundred, but this is literally all I have in the world, even, and I'm negative beyond this, right? But this is the cash I have in my hand. And this is the only thing that can get me back to normal. I remember just putting it in and just, it went away. And then that, which I felt many times, but that empty feeling of there is no more money there. There's, I'm really screwed right now. And I don't know what to do because I'm still at the casino. And I, I, this is the last place I want to be. I have to get out of this building. And so I, I walked to my hotel room and then um, usually had I, lost in Vegas, I would have driven home. I wouldn't have stayed, but I had this room and I was wrecked emotionally. And I just slept for a couple hours before I had to leave and I ended up calling Chris, the same friend who told me I had a gambling addiction, uh, eight years earlier, I called him and said, I did it again, even though I did it many times between. And he immediately tried to help me, um, getting me debt consolidations. You know, I was trying to solve all the problems right then and there, and that's never going to happen, unfortunately, but you feel like you need to make it happen there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I stopped, that was it. And then I filed bankruptcy because I'd done so much damage and I thought I've, I can't, this is insurmountable for me at this point in my life. I was 32 and like, what do I do? So I filed bankruptcy and, um, that process took a while. And I don't know if 
this is true or not. I've been told both ways, but um, my bankruptcy lawyer said, you can't gamble while you're filing bankruptcy. Like you can't legally, you can't. And I don't know if he just said that to me to get me to stop gambling, but it worked. So I was like, all right, I can't gamble. And then I just sort of stayed inside for a while and away from everything and just had to reset my brain to live in the world without gambling, which is very hard. I had tried it before, but not to this level where it was like, it's over. Like it's not a little over to where I can't gamble for a few weeks. This is over for good. Like I got to bankruptcy, a place I never thought I would get. So that was, that was the story. And then six months after that, I started the podcast. Yeah. And it's, it's been your primary source of recovery, would you say? Yes. Or yeah, absolutely. Like Talking to people is so freaking healing. I didn't know. Yeah. Cause everybody, we're all hurting. And it's when you share that with people, it lightens the load. Um, yeah. Even that's why you have to tell somebody, not just online, you can't just get on Twitter and say, I have a gambling addiction to somebody. You have to tell a human being who's next to you. You can, you know, give a hug to and feel comforted by, you have to make another human care about you. And that's why I think talking about it's so powerful because when you talk to even, you know, speaking with another person with, dealing with a gambling addiction, when you feel their pain, you're like, oh gosh. And even a small part of you says, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't do that. I'm glad I didn't do that. And that's okay. I think, I think it's okay to hear other people's stories go, I didn't get there. So that is, I could have been worse, right? It could have been worse. Yeah. And I think we're all in that position where it could have been worse. It could have been better. We're all sort of in the middle. Very true. I, I hear stories. I'm the same way. I hear stories and I'm like, man, if I had kept going, this is exactly where I would be. Or, or if I kept going, I probably wouldn't be here, you know, or I hear stories. And, and I think early on too, when I was hurting so much, like I, it was hard to find joy in anything. And so you'd hear somebody's story and I'd almost be a little jealous if they didn't get as far as I did. And I'm going to be honest about that. Um, like if, if they were, able, you know, they were still paying their bills on time and it hadn't hit them maybe as hard financially, I'd be like, you know, like, why couldn't I have, have come to that decision then, you know, but now of course I work through that. I understand it. We're all, if it, I'm just happy for them now that they, they recognize it at a point where it didn't take them to my level or somebody else's level. And now, so when I hear that, I'm like, thank goodness for you, you know, that you were able to, to recognize that. Um, here's a question for you though. Okay. So what, what deter, what do you think determines problem gambling versus disordered gambling? Like, for me, if, if it's making any kind of a problem for you, if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be financial. It could be fighting with your spouse. It could be um, maybe being late for work. It could be any kind of problem for you. Would you say that that's probably at the point where you probably need to get some help? I've thought of, so language and, and what needs help. I, I thought about that a lot. And I, I always have, now I sort of, I envision it, like this, whereas that term responsible gambling about setting deposit limits and setting a time limit, that's the top of the water. Like we're all up there. We're all doing that. We're all going for a swim. And, and mm -hmm. yes, of course, like I'm going to go spend a hundred bucks on gambling. Great. Well, you and I both went beyond that hundred bucks pretty quick and we started to drown in the water. And once we got down there, once we're below the surface of the water, I think you need to ask for help right away. I, 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 yeah. That's it right there. If, if you want a simple test, um, the next time you gamble, set a deposit limit, set a time limit. If you go beyond either, 
call somebody and tell them you have a gambling problem or a gambling addiction. I don't care what you call it, but you're in trouble. And I wish I had known that back then. I wish I had known, like, even though it's only a little bit of money, it's indicative of a greater issue in your life. And it's going to cause a lot of financial harm. And that creates emotional harm because then you're arguing with people, spouses, family members, friends for taking their money and spending on gambling. So to me, it's a very simple, like, play the responsible gambling game and set a deposit limit. And if you gamble more than the amount that you intended to, then ask somebody for help or stop gambling, because I think that's the number one sign. I think we can just go right there and say, this is an issue. And if later you're great, then go back. You think you can try gambling again? I'm not here to tell you not to gamble. I'm just saying, listen, I wish I had stopped when I was 18 because I knew when I was 18, it was a problem. I think, Christina, we both know, and I think other people know, like, you know, in your head, what is gambling to you? People ask that question. Well, what's gambling? Life is a gamble. You get out of bed in the morning. It's a gamble. Yeah, that's fine. But uh, I think if I'm doing something and it feels like gambling, I know that inside my brain. And I'm the only one who's going to know that. And so it's up to me. I'm not saying it's up to you to stop because sometimes it's very hard to stop. It's, it's a compulsive act. But you need to tell somebody so hopefully they can help you to stop. You need to ease that burden on your shoulders, you know, pass it off to another human. That's what we're here for other humans to help our fellow man and woman. So let's do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, by talking about it early on um, and always being open about it, if you do gamble and you feel like you're gambling responsibly, you know, when you start to kind of hide that you're going to the casino, even if you're not being detrimental to your finances or, or anything else, if you, if you feel like you can't tell somebody that you're going to the casino, then you really should really think about it. Um, being open with people around you. Cause I, I look back at when I stopped, I remember kind of the moments where I kind of stopped telling people that's where I was going. It, it became, I'm running errands um, to like my friends or my family, or um, I wasn't married at the time, but uh, when I started, cause I was, I was 28, it became a problem at 35. But even from the point when I was 28 to 35, I wasn't you know, I, there was a point where it was just like, I'm running errands. Like it wasn't, I'm going to the casino. So thinking back now, if I really had thought about it, then, um, I was starting to hide it then, you know, um, yeah. just, just the, my friend said, Hey, you want to go to lunch? Oh, I can't, I'm running errands as I was driving myself to the casino. So it, it can be as simple, simple as that. I think sometimes when I talk to people who are struggling with the fact that they're even an addict or struggling with the fact that they even have a problem, you know, they go back to this, well, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And I'm still paying my bills. I'm just using my extra money that I have left over. And, but really if, if you're having to defend that, if you're having to defend the fact that, Hey, I'm, I'm not doing this, then it's definitely time to really look and see if it is, if it really is a problem and maybe recognizing that it's a problem and, and talking about it. Um, yeah, I did the same. I mean, I remember at the beginning, I, I, I would get home, you know, I was 19. I had to move back into my parents cause I got kicked out of college cause I was gambling and not going to class. And I remember going to the casino even then. And they didn't, you know, I'm like, I'm going out. And then I'd come home like, I went to the casino and I'd flash cash if I won. You know, early on, I would flash cash. I'm like, look at what I did. This is so cool. And I remember telling friends like, oh, yeah, I went to the casino last night. And, and it was to give me that higher status. Oh, you went to class? Well, I was at a casino hanging out, partying. You know, that was what a cool lifestyle. And then it quickly, like you start losing, but you continue to go and you start realizing, I'm not telling anybody I'm here. 
Because now I'm worried about my behavior. And if I tell somebody else, they're going to worry about my behavior. And so that was me hiding it, not telling anybody anymore. Like, oh, they don't know I'm going. I'm a bowling, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it's when you said that too, it kind of made me recognize something too. When when you're winning, you talk about it. When you're winning, you're like, um, you know, I met and married my current husband in the midst of my addiction. And I talk about this in the group and kind of, kind of those issues in the group, but, um, and I won't, I won't get into a lot of detail with that, but he always, you know, he never knew what I was doing. Um, I managed the finances, but he never really knew me not as a non-gambler, uh, because that's, that's just, you know, how, how he met me, but I would come home and I would show, Hey, I won this money. And I made it to him seem innocent. He's not a gambler. He doesn't understand it. He never would go, but he, I would come home and say, Hey, look, I won this, this much money, you know, great. We can go treat ourselves or something like that. And he would always be like, Oh, so to him, me gambling was actually an okay thing because I was bringing money home. But what he didn't understand was I may have lost this much money plus more the week before. Um, So really this isn't any extra money. This is money that we actually earned, you know, going to work. And, and those kinds of things. So, you know, I kind of gave him this false impression of gambling. And then when I started to really just start losing, like it got to the point where I just couldn't win. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if I won. It didn't matter how much I won. I wasn't leaving with it. Um, and then I just quit talking about it. And then it, that's when the kind of the lying to him started as far as, um, I mean, I was already lying about finances, but about where I was, Oh, I'm going to dinner with so-and-so, or I'm going to my mom's, um, because he never, he never questioned it. He didn't have any reason to, wonder about what I was doing or where I was. Um, and so it's just like, I look back at that now and, and, you know, I just wish I'd been, been more honest and open about it then, but I can't change that. I mean, he knows now and, uh, you know, we talk about it now. Do do you ever, do you ever say, did you know that you're an affected other? So, so when I told him about my gambling addiction, it took me 60 days, 60 days from, the time I started therapy and recovery hmm. um, to tell him about it because I was so scared of how he was going to react. I'm like, Oh, he's going to blow up. He's going to be upset. And he's not, he's not a mean guy. You know, I wasn't worried about like physical harm or anything like that anyway. So I told him about it. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you want to talk about the finances? Do you want to like, what do you, how do you want to deal with this? How do you want to move forward? Like, this is what I did. I, I don't know what to do from here. And he was like, why look back? What's the point? And that was it. That was all I got from it. Like he wow. hasn't asked me much about anything that I'm doing as far as what I do in the community community. He knows that I go to meetings. He knows that I do this podcast. Um, he matter of fact, he came across something not too long ago, randomly um, about the podcast and maybe because we're on the same Wi-Fi or something. I don't know. But then he was like, I didn't even realize you were doing this. And I'm like, so he kind of, very, he's very disconnected from it, but what, this is the thing that I know a lot of people listening who have an affected spouse, I get bursts of anger from him occasionally, you know, if something comes up financially or, you know, he's not able to do something financially because of the debt that I created gambling, um, will, will, will come at me about it. So he doesn't really communicate about it. So it's, it is kind of tough having a male spouse affected spouse because they don't talk about it. Like he doesn't talk about it, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's still kind of, we're still kind of working, moving through it, but hopefully my spouse, um, 
she will from time to time you mentioned bursts of anger and that immediately made me think of this is that you know i'll pay a credit card bill and it'll be higher than what she's used to or something and it's you know it's not anything out of the blue it's just you know more groceries something you know something whatever and she'll just ask me a question of oh hey why was the credit card bill this much and my immediate reaction is to get angry and like why are you on my case and that all stems from all those years of doing things under the radar and trying to hide that my initial reaction to normal questions is to be in defense of myself because I feel like I've probably done something wrong. When the reality is I haven't, but I'm so used to covering up and hiding yeah. that this is my reaction, which is even worse because then it just creates a bigger problem. And then and she says, why are you snapping at me? I just asked you a question. And I go, I don't know why I'm snapping <laughs> at you, except I do I, just this. Yeah. So that's a hard one because I, um, I was not married when I gambled. And I met my uh, spouse after I stopped gambling. I met her completely after I was done for about a year. So sometimes I get bent out of shape when she's she tries to adapt my addiction to her life because my immediate reaction is, I didn't gamble when I was around you. Leave me alone. I, I can relate to that quite a bit because um, I still get defensive about things. And I, but see, What's interesting to me is that you're seven years into recovery, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you still feel that, right? Defensiveness? Yeah. And I and, and and she wasn't around for the gambling, which is why I don't know I'm drawing these correlations between like, if she's asking me a question, it's about gambling, I need to be defensive. Right. And really, she's not. She's just asking a question about everyday bills. Like, what was there something unexpected that maybe she didn't know about or something like that? But I get defensive too. And it could be just anything. Um, so I was talking to my sponsor about, I don't know, the podcast or something. And she was kind of coming at me with like, Oh, I feel like you're doing too much. You know, like, I want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And and I got defensive. I was like, I'm, I'm fine. Like I, and I did, I got defensive, but at the time I didn't recognize it as defensive. I was just trying to reassure her that really I was okay. So once I got off the phone with her a little bit later, I really was replaying that conversation because something didn't set right with me about it. Like, it's almost like I recognized myself being defensive. And so I called her back and I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I was being defensive about that because I think I was scared that you were going to tell me to cut back or that I was in trouble because I was, or I was doing my recovery wrong or something. You know what I mean? Like all these things go, in our, go through my head and I'm just like, so now it's, it's learning to recognize that emotion that defensive emotion and really kind of thinking, why was I, I defensive? Because maybe I am spending too much time doing this and not enough time doing this. So it's, it's just this constant balance, but I'm, you know, over six months, whereas you're seven years still doing it. So, um, yeah, it'll be this, it'll be the same argument every time about that same thing. Cause it, it, it I mean, it's, if you're talking about gambling addiction, beyond just your own recovery, what you're doing with a podcast, it, I, I can see how it could be too much because it is constant. Like you're either scheduling or promoting or whatever. Or editing. And so I could see that. Um, it's funny. So Jeff is not my official sponsor or anything, but Jeff, I talk a lot. And Jeff, who I do the podcast with, who came onto the podcast with me um, a couple years after we started. And, you know, he's a lot busier these days. He's still, he's still a part of it. He's just not on as many episodes these days. But he and I have had some pretty, where he will make a comment about my life and I will get defensive in the same way that you're just describing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you know, you know, ah. 
And you just think, well, this is just another fellow gambler who's looking out for somebody in recovery. He's, he's just trying to help me. And, and I get mad. And um, I've never been in somebody who's good with when people have a comment about my life and what I don't like it when people look out for me. Is that weird? No, I feel the same way. I'm like, I know me. But apparently, here's the thing, though. We obviously didn't do a really good job yeah. looking out for ourselves. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, allowing somebody else to look out for us is tough. It's tough, you yeah. know, and that's, that's you know, I, I struggle with it myself. But, you know, another thing, I don't know if you struggled with this, but I lied a lot while I was gambling. Mm-hmm. I I mean, everything, you know, I was living these this Facebook life, what I call this Facebook life, because it's, you know, you only see the good stuff on Facebook, right? You only see mm-hmm. the happy pictures. Um, you know, you don't see, you don't see the shit behind the show. And it's just like, um, so it was, it was hard, you know, juggling all this stuff. But now that I'm in recovery, um, I, I still find myself lying occasionally about things I shouldn't even be lying about, you know, and I, I know we've talked about this in, in a different episode or something, a uh, meeting episode or something, but somebody will ask me something as simple as what I ate for, for lunch. I'm diabetic. I need to eat healthy, but I maybe had a hamburger. I'm like, I had a salad, you know, like instant it's instant because mm-hmm. I don't want the judgment. I don't want to feel like I'm in trouble. I don't want to feel, you know, these things, but what I'm having to do in the moment is correct it and be like, no, I should have had a salad, but I had a hamburger with ketchup, cheese, all the bad stuff. And I even had cheese fries. So come at me, you know, like it's just kind of relearning that. I mean, and, and that's just an example. And it was all about avoidance. It's about avoidance of just emotional feelings, uh, somebody else's emotional reactions, or even mine. Did you struggle with that? I've always struggled with emotional responses. I'm not good. I act out. I lash out. I scream. I yell. I storm off. Um, Chris, who I mentioned earlier, who's the person who said I had a gambling addiction. And then the one who I called when I like was my last bet, one of my best friends in the world. And when he joined the Navy, he was my roommate. We were both paying rent together. And when he joined the Navy, he sort of did it quickly as in like he, he was a lot like me. We were both just sort of aimless in the world. And I took up gambling, um, but he just didn't go down that road. So he, he realized quickly he had to write his ship and he joined the Navy to go live on a ship. Um, and at his going away party, I started throwing things at him and getting I, we were drinking. We were 25 and a big party. But um, I started throwing things at him and, and saying crappy things about him. And it was because I was hurting that my friend was leaving. And instead of just saying that, I was acting out and acting a fool and, and doing regrettable behavior that people to this day still like, remember when you were throwing video games at Chris? And I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't believe it. And I think even as late in life that I've thrown temper tantrums where I'm going, how does a 30 something year old throw a temper tantrum? Um, but it is it's just something I've always I've never been great emotionally. I just, I, I don't know how to feel my feelings without acting out upon them. Um, but I, many times, I mean, I li- to your question about lying, I lied constantly, but just stupid little lies, simple things of, hey, what'd you do last night? We'd be at work just talking to make conversation. What'd you do last night? Oh, I watched a movie. Oh, what movie did you watch? Oh, I watched The Born Identity. Um, but I didn't, I was at the casino. I didn't watch the born identity. I just, it was on TNT back then. So I would say the born identity because it was probably on TNT the night before. 
Um, but I lied a lot about stupid little things that had no bearing. I was just worried that if somebody knew what that realm was, I worked for my uncle. Uh, my uncle owned the business that I worked for, and that's where I started. And then he left eventually, and I still work there. But at one point when I was working there for my uncle, somebody went to him behind my back and said, I think your nephew has a drinking problem. I didn't at the time. I mean, I was like 22 and drank what 22-year-olds drink when they're out with their friends and stuff like that. So a lot of stupid things, but nothing over the top. Um, what I had was a gambling addiction. And that's what they were saying. They thought I was out these late nights because I was out drinking. And once in a while, I mean, yeah, that was true. But I was out these late nights because I was gambling. So I wouldn't sleep. So I'd show up to work, puffy eyes, needing coffee, almost falling asleep, just a wreck of a person. And so they thought I had this drinking problem. And so they told him and then he came to me and I was like, no. And then I got mad. Like, why are you coming at me with this? Um, and it's just it. And that would have been a great opportunity to say, I have a gambling addiction. Please help me. But I didn't. I, right. I just hit it more. And it's always stupid lies. Like, why do you need money? I used to say all the time, I, I paid extra bills. You know, I paid bills ahead of time. Then I didn't realize that this other bill popped. I needed to buy a new tire. And I would tell lies like that. I had elaborate lies for stupid little things. I came in one time. That's not a great story. I self-harmed myself. I punched myself in the face a bunch one night um, um, because, again, I don't know how to handle my emotions. And this is the only time I've ever done this. Or I beat the hell out of my face with my fist in an attempt, my hope. And I'm glad that this got squashed quickly. But my hope was that my friend would find me. You know, I was punching myself above my nose. So I was trying to make my nose bleed. And I, and I did. And I think I was trying to make it so my friend who I lived with at the time would find me do something with me. Like I was putting my life into somebody else. Like guys, I'm, I'm checked out. I don't want to end this, but I'm not well. And I beat the hell out of my face. Um, what happened? I woke up before him. i I did this on the couch. I woke up before him and you know, I'm it's the morning. Everything is fine. Again. The reason I beat the hell out of myself, because it was a, it was a relationship thing. It was a, a, a woman I was dating at the time and it didn't work out. And I took that and I was also gambling. So my emotions were everywhere. And I beat the hell out of myself. I woke up and I went, oh my God, what have I done? I ran into my room afraid that, that he would see me afraid. Like, oh God, everything I wanted last night, I do not want. I'm okay. I realize now the folly of my ways. So then I go into work after realizing all this and I'm all black and blue for some reason. I'm like what happened? And I said, oh, I tripped down a and I hit my head on the couch. That was the lie I told. And for years, they would bring that back up. Like, you mean like that time you tripped and fell on the couch? Like, I would just come up with stories. It was not yeah. a healthy way of living at all. And it was, I was just lying to everybody about stupid little things, but nothing that mattered. Right. Instead of asking for the help yes. uh, that we need. So yeah. many opportunities to ask for help. And I, I was just like, no, I didn't want to leave gambling. That's a hard one. It gave yeah. me such comfort that I never wanted to be away from it. And I just thought if I tell somebody, that's it. Yep. So I kept like, that's why I kept trying to do it myself. So I would, gambling would always be there. Like I don't have to leave it, but seven years ago, I had to leave it. Like it's over now. Everybody knows I gamble. So if I do gamble, that's it for me. So nowadays it's, it's, I'm in a much better place. You know, I have to talk about how I feel, which I've, I've now done. You know, if I have a disagreement with my spouse, we've had, we still argue, but we've had plenty of disagreements where then we present it we say listen i might get mad about this i just want to let you know that this is what's bothering me and that's much healthier than what i used to do which was just act out and throw things yeah definitely um i remember when i interviewed my mom 
for the podcast and we were kind of talking about my recovery and she was like, you know, I asked her kind of what signs were that she clued into that this was really becoming a problem. She's like, your stories were just getting out of control. Like you had an excuse for everything you had, you know, and then it was to the point, like none of us believed you, but you believed you. And, you know, when she told me that I was like, wow, I really thought everybody was believing everything I said, but in reality, they aren't They're They, she wasn't believing maybe for a time until it just gets to always be something, you know, it's, it's never, never what it, what it is. I'm sure you're now you're saying that and I'm going, um, I'm sure it was the same for me. I'm sure everybody just thought I wasn't, it wasn't, I, I have to stop saying insane and nuts and stuff like that. Cause I know those words are, but it, they probably just thought I was an asshole. Like, why is he telling us this falsehood? We know it's not true. Yeah. And it really does say a lot about your character at that time. And that's what I, I would rather save the person who I thought I was supposed to no, I would. I didn't want to get to a point where everyone thought I was an asshole. And that's sort of what I got to. Like, it's okay. I, I think we're all wi- not willing to. You don't want to feel like you're a victim, right? Right. And that's admitting is, I guess it can be that. It's like, oh, I'm a victim of this addiction. And I don't, nobody wants to be the person who needs to be helped. But we just talked about, we will hate that when people are like, are you okay? We hate that. So I can only imagine that everybody else hates that too. And so no wonder it's so hard for people in our positions to get the help we need because we don't want to say it at all. You don't want to say it because you don't want to be a victim. You don't want to say it because you don't really want to believe that you need help. And you don't want to say it because then it's over. It's that part that your life as you know it is over. And you have to admit not defeat, not, not failure, but not success either, but I think, yeah, I don't know what the word would be. Yeah. But you have to admit that that is the person that you, you have to admit who you are. And that's really hard to be open and honest like that. Especially when you've done things that you just absolutely aren't proud of too. But I think, and I think that plays into why I took so long to ask for help. Yes. I knew talking to somebody, I would have to stop the gambling. Another thing to add to that is, is like the people in our lives who knew that something was off. Like when I asked my mom, I'm like, did you know something was off? And she was like, yeah, your stories and always have an excuse and, and this and stuff like that. But when, when you know someone so well and their, and their behaviors change like that, um, don't be afraid to ask what's wrong. Don't be afraid to kind of like piss them off and Hmm. figure out what the problem is, because I think that's, that's what hesitates a lot of us, right? Oh, we don't want to make him mad. Cause even my mom said, I knew how you'd react. I knew you'd, if I confronted you on the gambling, I knew you'd storm out and you wouldn't talk to me. And I w- would have rather been there. I wanted to be there when you were ready. And so, yes, there's some truth to that, but if you see something going on with somebody that, you know, isn't normal, ask, you know, but do it in a way that, you know, like, are you okay? Like, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be confronting them. You don't have to be uh, really digging in. But how do you start that conversation with somebody? I just talked to somebody yesterday. Today's Friday. Yes, it was Thursday. Spoke with somebody who told me all, everything. Not everything, because we didn't have enough time. We talked for about an hour, and we still didn't get to things. But he told me all these things that his spouse doesn't know. Right? Right. And I'm going, you're telling me a stranger essentially i mean yeah you've listened to my voice but but you're telling me all these things 
and he doesn't want to tell his spouse these things. And I'm thinking the best thing for you is to tell her everything right now, today, the bet. But again, I've been in that position and you and I both know, like, that's just not, you're very worried that this could end everything as you know it. Yeah. Right. Like your world will collapse, but what you don't realize, what, what's that whole cut off your nose to spite your face, that whole thing. It's that you're, you're damaging yourself by not being honest. Like right now is the best time. Get all the honesty out. Confess to everything. Talk about the time when you were in the fourth grade. Be, be chunking the Goonies, confessing everything <laughs> you did at camp when he was seven. Just say it all. You, you just aged us right there. People, <laughs> people, yeah. people want to help. I, in this whole experience, all I've realized is that most people want to help their fellow person. Don't pay attention to society from a social media point of view. When you're standing next to somebody who's suffering, you want to help them regardless of viewpoints and, and, and your spouse or your loved one or whoever, your friend who they want to help you. They want it. They don't, they don't know they want to help because they don't need, know you're in need, in need of help. You're sitting there trying to put on this persona of I'm strong and I'm fine. Everything's great. Mm -hmm. And you're dying inside. Don't want to die inside because eventually that will bleed to the outside. And then that's that it's over. And you don't want that. You want to live life. And so tell somebody, tell somebody, tell somebody, tell your friend, tell somebody to care about you. You've earned it. You've been alive this long. You've done things for your friends and your loved ones. Just, Give them a hug and say, listen, I need your help and get into it. It's okay. Like it's okay. You and I are examples of that. Yes, absolutely. It is okay. And you've survived hundred percent of what life's given you to this point, you know? So yeah. no matter how bad you think the reaction is going to be, or if I know there's a, a lot of spouses being the spouse that gambled myself and talking to other affected spouses and things like that. Um, I know the feeling of, Hey, I might lose this marriage or, Hey, this, this is the worst case scenario, but more times than not, the spouse steps up and they're like, okay, let's get through this together. Or the loved one steps up and says, what can I do? Like my mom, she just stepped up and said, let's make a plan. Let's, let's do this. Right. Let's make a plan. Let's get you help. And then I got help. And then, like I said, I brought my, my spouse in on it and, um, you know, we're able to work through it. it, it it will work out in some way. And sometimes even if it doesn't work out the way you think it should, it's working out the way it's meant to be. Um, I'm a firm believer on if it's meant to be any other way, it would be kind of thing. So that's kind of my motto in life these days. Um, you know, just the things happen for a reason, but as terrifying as it is to go to that vulnerable place and bring somebody in, um, just having somebody there help you just talking about it. Oh, my gosh, you remember the first time you just really talked about it with your friend and when that moment when you just really let it all out with your friend, Chris, and uh, I, bet, I cried on the phone. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. cried in front of him before I cried on the phone. Yeah. And I when I told my mom, I I left there feeling like an elephant was lifted off my chest um, because I knew for the first time in years that I wasn't holding this in anymore. Somebody else knew. And they still cared about me. So. And you were, you were playing slot machines, correct? Yes. Yeah. That's all I ever played. And I, I, you know, that's pri primarily what I was playing for a bulk of this. I mean, I started with different things, but eventually it was slot machines gave me the satisfaction and also the alone time. 
and those are based on a few other properties the most addictive avenue of gambling uh as far as immediacy lights and sounds that sort of thing um the oral fixation that you get on the machine and it's such a comforting machine it, it it gives you everything that you need as long as you keep feeding it money and that when i switched over to slot machines and then i started craving to go see a slot machine you know i was sitting at the blackjack table there's still a little bit of socialness to it i'm sitting at the blackjack table and i remember one time um the girlfriend that i had when i was 18 wanted to come with me to see that's silly you don't want to come there i i know how i am there when she wanted to come so i sat at a blackjack table and she sat behind me for I want to say six hours. It was a long time. And I, the whole time I knew, but I was mad at that point that she wanted to come. She wanted to come. She wanted to hang out with me. I was mad that she wanted to come because I knew exactly that she would be sitting behind me for six hours, not doing anything. And then what really threw over the top was that there was a, a, a young lady sitting next to me playing blackjack and we were, you know, we're playing blackjack. So we're talking and it probably sounded flirtatious. And so then that strained my relationship. Um, and then she never came again to that and we broke up and I was gambling and I started using her as an excuse to gamble and she's awesome person and all that. And she's, I think pretty well today, but at that time I just felt so horrible for the way I treated her in my addiction as somebody who just wanted to hang out with me. And for that, it was like, sit behind me while I flirt with this other person, which it wasn't flirting, but it was that we were both playing blackjacks. We were both gambling. We were both in that. And I wouldn't be surprised if the, if she was the same as me, you know what I mean? Like that. You look around a casino at 3 a.m. and you think, well, who's here? And to me, uh, people at a casino at 3 a.m. are um, much like us. I, I don't want to yeah. judge on other people as we just did this meeting earlier about where I brought up judgment. But it really seems like at 3 a.m. That's who's there is people who shouldn't be. And yeah, you look at them and you're like, why are you still here? Why am I still here? Yeah. And then you start judging them, which is actually you judging you. Uh, what are you doing here at four in the morning? They lift up your feet because the vacuum's coming around. No, they make you get off the machine and they move the chairs. I remember having a conversation with um, Rick Benson from Algamas. And he said that they actually, in some casinos, they actually have people that just change the chairs out um, because people won't leave. And, um, so they have people that just go around changing the chairs out for people that set that set in them for 24 hours straight or whatever, you know, and having to change the chairs out. And I'm thinking that's, but I remember walking through the casino, seeing the same faces all the time. And then when the servers get to know you, like, that's really what should have clued me in years ago when they knew me first name basis. Hey, you want that Dr. Pepper, you know? And I'm like, shit, you know, like I, why do you know that kind of thing? But it's, it, it is just how it goes. And I got to the point where I didn't want to go with anybody, you know, before it used to be a social thing with me, I'd meet my friends up there. And then it got to the point, you know, when I stopped telling people I was going because I was ashamed of it or whatever the reasons were, um, it got because I didn't want somebody standing behind me or sitting beside me ready to go when I wasn't ready to go. I didn't like it when people would walk up to my machine and be like, watch me play. Mm, um, especially that. if I had rolled up a ticket or something and then they would come up behind me and they would watch me just like ridiculously play it back in. And then, the, or they'd come back by and be like, Oh my goodness, she played all that back 
you know, or like, look how much she's betting or, you know, that kind of stuff just like really agitated me and it drove me crazy. And I would talk, be, you know, talking to somebody, I'm like, can you believe they're just watching me or I don't like it or something? Yeah. It's just, yeah. The whole behaviors of a compulsive gambler still, even now that I'm clearing, my head's clearing and I'm thinking about it, like, yeah, it just, it, it gets overwhelming sometimes when I think about those things. Yeah. And new things pop up all the time in my brain. Oh yeah. Now I remember that. And I go, Oh, Mm -hmm. I can't believe I did that. There's so many behaviors. I can't believe the amount of time I spent dedicating to, cause I would drive over to Canada. I was in Michigan and, and it was, I don't, when the Detroit casinos first appeared, I didn't want to go there. Um, I wanted to keep going to Canada, in Canada. You could gamble at 19. So I'd been going for a few years to Canada. Um, but it was such a process to get over because you had to have a birth certificate at the time to would go through. And so it's like an extra 15, 20 minutes, half hour, hour, I don't, you know, depends on traffic. Sometimes you couldn't get across because there was a line to go over the bridge to, to, to Windsor. And I just think of all the effort I put into just gambling. Mm-hmm. I think, man, and that's what, it's not that, not necessarily all the time that gets to me that I lost, but it's, it's those moments of inspiration or motivation that I had that then I wasted on gambling as opposed to something to further life, you know? That's right. what gets me. Yeah, you have to oh, learn man. to kind of grieve that part of it for me. I just avoided so much by gambling. Yeah. And, and I can get hung up on that too, like all the different things, but now looking at, at, you know, the bro girl society and the things that I have planned, I have so many plans and that just, it it helps me when those moments come up, then I just think about the things that I, I plan on doing. And, um, I had posted something in the group yesterday about things that we're struggling to let go of or things, um, you know, that are out of our control that we're still trying to control. And, you know, just kind of an exercise for the group. And one of the one, one of the women said, um, you know, I regret that I can't, I didn't travel when I was younger and I, you know, and she's struggling to kind of let those, those regrets go. And I'm thinking, you know what, you can travel now you're in recovery. You can travel now, even if it's to the next town. So that that's definitely on my bucket list traveling. I'm going to travel the world because I didn't travel much. Um, well, you know, it's great in recovery. You meet all these people and you can, oops. You can plan to go, to go meet them. And you can couch surf and it doesn't cost as much money. What are you? You're taking, I don't know if we're supposed to mention this, but you're taking a trip in recovery essentially because you're taking it with somebody in recovery, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tara and I are are taking a trip and we're going to be in, we're going to fly into Boston and then we're going to take the coastal road up to Bar Harbor, Maine. And it's just really just a connection trip with each other. And it's just, it's going to be beautiful it's in of October. So it's going to be like the fall foliage, you know, I've never really been to the East coast. And so, um, yeah, you guys will be hours away. Mere hours, mere hours, mere hours. How far are you from Boston? Uh, two, two and a half. Depending on traffic. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and probably kind of wind it down a little bit, but let's talk about some myths and facts real quick. Does this seem interesting? Yes. Okay. So now this is just myths on gambling. This is, I read this stuff when I first started my recovery and it just fascinated me. I read stats. I read, you know, just everything I could to really understand gambling addiction. So myth, you have to gamble every day to be a problem gambler. What do you think? No, I don't think, I don't think it's possible to gamble every day. Yeah. Me either. I only gamble. I used it all up last night. Right. So I can't gamble today. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, 
that's what a lot of people think that you're not a problem gamble if you don't gamble every day, but I didn't gamble every day. I maybe gambled four or five times out of the month and it was around paydays. Um, but I would gamble till I didn't have any money left. You would binge. Yeah. That's what I was. I, I couldn't spread it out. That would be, there's no way I could spread out gambling. It had to all take place. Like that whole paycheck, like you said, it was those days right around payday. Yeah. And mostly it was the day of or day after whatever. The weekend. In. Yeah. It took over the weekend. Okay. Problem gamblers gamble at every opportunity and on any form of gambling. For me, no. Cause I'm a slot. Yeah. I mean, I, there's plenty of things I didn't want to gamble. I, I wasn't like going to buy lottery tickets because I couldn't go to the casino. I, it just didn't do it for me the same way. So no, I wouldn't think so. Right. And you know, that's a big problem. Lottery tickets for some people, scratch offs for some people. I didn't even know. Lottery seems to be getting more aggressive in their uh, advertising as well. Yeah. They're really pushing it. They, they don't, they didn't used to do that, but I forget, you know, Kino and bingo are everywhere. Forget those things. Yeah. Yeah. Is there somebody in, in the same group that we're in um, that struggles with bingo and you think, Oh, bingo. And then you probably have your own judgments about bingo, but Highly addictive, just as any other gambling. And very um, true. It, it just, again, like it can take all your time and money. You wouldn't think about it, but it can. Yeah. Just like the Facebook games, uh, gambling games, you know, like you, people think, oh, that's not gambling. But when you're buying those coin packets, um, that money adds up and it very well could could be an addiction for a lot of people. And then yeah. pool tabs. There was an article a little while ago about four, like somebody lost 400,000 on a social casino. And you're like, well, those are free. Yeah. So, but that proves how addictive gambling in any be. form in any, any type of thing. But I, I just focus on what I did. Um, but there's like pool tabs. I didn't, I don't need, I still don't understand pool tabs. There's the, people get, um, addicted to the sweepstakes in a lot of like Facebook groups and things like that. They have, you know, these pool tabs, fa- sweepstakes and things like that. They get really caught up in. So I guess it's just anything that is compulsive and causing a problem in your life. Um, Let's see. Problem gambling. This is a good one. Problem gambling is not really a problem if you can afford it. Well, okay. So let's, let's take, there's plenty of celebrity poker games. There used to be a show about celebrity poker. Yep. Remember when the poker boom um, and there's plenty of celebrities who gamble and gamble just as much as you or I did or, and not celebrities, but just rich people in general can gamble as much as you and I did. But I think the first time we're all aware that it's it's a problem is because of the financial impact. That's what creates the problem. Now, that's not the main thing, but I think that's the first thing we all hit that all of a sudden we go, oh, yeah. crap, this has become a financial issue for myself. Um, and, and people with money don't have that. I mean, they might gamble too much and they might lose all the money, but they still can live. You and I can't live, right? We're in that under right. that amount of money. That, yeah. You know, if we gamble our paycheck, we're really screwed on eating or paying rent or paying bills. Yeah. Putting gas in our car. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, there's so many times that I, I hit that point. Um, okay. This myth is, inter- is interesting to me because I'm really focused on this lately about the younger generation. Um, so myth, children are not affected by problem gambling. Um, that, that is not the case at all. If you think about, if you listen to most of the stories that have been in both of our, our podcasts, gambling started for them at young ages, whether it was, um, horse track racing or, you know, just a family day at the horse track, or just even just like, I bet you this and I get the front seat, you know what I mean? Or just those kind of behaviors that start. But now that we have these, especially here in Oklahoma, we have these casinos that have, um, activities for children. So they make it a family vacation, just like Vegas. Um, and kids are walking through the casinos and they hear everybody hooping and hollering when they win, 
the bells, the lights, it starts to kind of like trigger um, those kind of thoughts like, oh, I can't wait until I can do this. And not only that, but now that they're gambling at younger generations and online, mothers are sitting on the couch mm-hmm. gambling, you know, food money, diaper money, um, those t- types of things. And, and another thing, they're not present because they're, they're so consumed by gambling. So it affects our children so much. Yeah. We played a game when I was a kid, my family would play this game called Tripoli, which is it was a green board with essentially you're trying to get poker hands and it's like, and we're playing with pennies, but it was, you know, pennies to me at the age of 10 are the yeah. same as putting a million dollars in front of me. So I was, I remember playing those games and I would get super angry when um, I would lose the, you know, you'd play the game for an hour and then you'd wind down by these pots were bigger. Um, because of the type of hand you'd have to get. And so then at the end, if you didn't get one of those pots, ah, and I'd scream and I'd run away from the table and be a pain in the ass. But I also gambled at 12 at my schools. Uh, I went to a Catholic school and at, in the sixth grade, there was a, we would have a festival every summer. And in that festival, they would sell pull tabs to sell to the adults, I thought, <laughs> to gamble with and to raise money like a 50-50 raffle. But I kept buying pull tabs and I kept being allowed to buy pull tabs in the sixth grade. And I stole money out of my parents' car out of the change jar. And actually, I stole money out of their, um, they had like a postage fund that they, it was all their change, you know, back when stamps were whatever they were, 20 cents. Um, and I stole all that money to buy all these pull tabs. And I think how much gambling I did before I was legally allowed. And it does drive that like, oh, free money. That yeah. I know it's not a financial, it's not always a financial reason, but financial reasons did sort of draw me to it like oh look what i can do without having to put forth much effort and that that was always the appeal of gambling of i can attain a lifestyle i didn't earn that was very appealing to somebody who just started taking themselves out of society you know it was like i I don't want to participate with this but i still want to achieve this how can i do that oh uh, gamble yeah that's that's a good way to look at that like that easy easy earned money or yeah. I think that's what first drew me into going to the casino. Like I had gambled before, but going to the casino and seeing how quickly I got $150 in my hand when I knew it just took me two days to earn $150. Mm-hmm. I thought, what am I doing? This was a couple hours and fun. That's work and boring. Yeah. And especially when you're a younger generation kid too, I think, um, you know, because now it's starting to be more prevalent in like 18, 19, 20 year olds here. Well, cause now everything seems to be sold as yeah. an easy buck. Um, I don't even know how to describe an NFT, but an NFT and, and, and everyone who is chasing an easy buck, all the side hustles that you're just looking so you can get an easy buck can just destroy you. And it's so hard. To, I don't think there's any good way to convince somebody who is in the throes of a gambling addiction that they have a gambling addiction and should stop like us. I just don't, there's no good way. Cause I think to back to when I was that person, shut up, I'm going to win, leave me alone, you know? And I don't know how people get out of this without going through it. I tried so many times to stop early, like, okay, before I hit all this harm, let me stop. And I remember trying to stop and I mentioned those, but it just didn't work until I experienced the true harm of gambling. And luckily I'm still on the earth. And so it wasn't that much harm, but it was enough to derail my life completely. And I just like kids who are 16, 17, 18, God bless them. But that's a hard battle to fight when you don't know that you're in battle. 
And it is, and it's like you want you want to save so many from even going through it. Um, but you and I both know that we're just going to do what we're going to do. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, if yeah, you know what? I don't. I lost my thought on that. Okay, so let's go. Let's go to the next. I do that all the time. I'm like, uh... I start going off on something, and I go, I don't know. I was even saying this. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so let's just do one more. Um, and this one, this one's an important one. It says myth problem. Gambling is easy to recognize. Now we both know that problem gambling, you know, has the highest suicide rate because it is almost unrecognizable to the physical eye. Um, you know, like with alcohol or drugs, you usually can see some kind of sign. Like you were talking about earlier, they thought you were an alcoholic because they assumed your appearance meant that, um, because that's, that's how they recognize alcohol, um, addiction. But with, with a gambling addiction, if you saw me walking down the street, would you think I was a gambling addict? Wouldn't know. Yeah. Same with you. Um, it's just, that's, that's one of the things that, that is so misrepresented, you know, like the, you could have a coworker sitting beside you that has a gambling addict whose life is in chaos and turmoil and you wouldn't know it. You might, might get a sense that something's off or something's definitely going on, but you don't know what's going on with her. Um, and you know, and that's, that's a lot of people struggling with a lot of addictions, uh, a lot of different addictions is we don't know what people are going through. Um, and not everything is always recognizable. Yeah, I the the whole hidden addiction, invisible addiction is because if you see somebody with a heroin addiction, physically they might not look right to you, and so then you can make assumptions. Um, same with somebody who's been drinking too much; generally, you can smell that or notice behavior. And but with a gambling addiction, you just don't. You just might think that that person doesn't have great social skills because they're avoiding everything. Um, Good point. But it's, I feel like it's like that um, eight ball, the the answer where all signs point to yes. If you have a, I never want to put an addiction on somebody. It's not my place. But if you have somebody that you care about and you think they probably have a gambling addiction, I would call that most definitely they have a gambling addiction. Yes. Because if it makes you think of that, chances are they've exposed enough behavior that you're probably spot on. Um, that's, but that gets, what do you do then? Like you call out your, if you call somebody out too early, it could be detrimental to a friendship, but like this thing is so hard. And so it's so hard to navigate because what is we all need to find help ourselves you know if people push help on us we're resistant and we push it away and that could break up friendships or loved ones or relationships and this whole thing is so hard to maneuver and navigate in that respect of like well who has an addiction and who doesn't and how do we get them help if there is if you know if i have a drug problem but i tell you i'm okay eventually that drug problem is going to catch up with me physically same with drinking gambling it's not going to catch up with you physically you're never going to know it might catch up with you mentally and then it's just too late you know sadly yeah because yeah. that person's no longer with us and or they've done so much damage that now they're going to go to prison um it's just such a hard addiction to identify and to then 
communally do something about. It's so much of a personal addiction of I'll reach out when I'm ready. And unfortunately, I'll sometimes miss that window of reaching out when it's too late. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to talk about this. It's why it's so important to do these podcasts and be a voice to people. Um, I like the, the analogy of planting the seed, you know, just by talking about it, by t- telling people, Hey, these are things to look for. Um, also, you know, there are a lot of people who are on the cusp. Don't you remember that, that time period where you were just kind of on the cusp, like, okay, this is getting out of hand, but I'm not ready to let it go. Like we, we talked about through the episode. Um, and that's when I think it got worse because then I'm spending more and taking more chances and, and just trying to flip the switch quickly. Yes. Yeah. And so plant by planting the seed, you know, you don't bear the, the fruit overnight. So like, that's just kind of my analogy, plant the seed, let it grow. The fact that, Hey, this could be a problem. Let me, you know, and start thinking about it. Um, but yeah, it, and two, you, you know, just putting the word out there, the options that are, are available for rec- recovery, even if somebody just goes in and they just start reading about it. You know, it's not like you have to show your face. It's not like you have to share your story, um, but just start reading about it, listening to other people's stories. And and I found, I found a lot of like encouragement in that, um, even even if I was struggling with my own, but it was just like something there kind of fed into, um, okay, I'm not alone. Um, you know, I love how they're doing this to help. And I love how they're doing this to help. And so then I started incorporating a lot of that into my own recovery and things like that. So, so talking about it, you know, not only plants the seed in the addicts head or compulsive gamblers head or problem gamblers head. Um, but also just people who don't know anything about gambling addiction or problem gambling. Um, you know, I would say they put studies out, you know, surveys every year, (laughs) <laughs> don't get me started on that, but a majority of people don't, I don't want to go down that road, but a majority of people don't have an understanding of problem gambling. And those, those surveys tell you that just by the questions that they ask and the responses that they get, they don't know anything about problem gambling. They don't know what help is available for problem gambling, and they don't know when gambling is even a problem. So you know, it's just important to talk about it. And I really appreciate you coming on and just having a chat with me. Oh my gosh. I loved it. I can't believe we've been talking this long. I, I, I we could I keep going. I saw that. Um, and I was like, um, this is going to be like a two hour. episode. <laughs> I think we talked though for 45 minutes without Before. recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's so it's so hard to figure out from your own point of view, but I would just say like, if you've run into financial harm from gambling, if you've set that limit gone beyond, go get help, just stop it now. I mean, you can get to bankruptcy. If you want to come be like me and get to bankruptcy, so be it. It's not a great path. It took 14 years to eventually get to where people get. So I I just, like we all sort of know if it's causing you harm, reach out and and grab somebody for help. And if you don't have a friend or a, a adult or a somebody in your family, a spouse, anybody to reach out to, then email one of us and we'll get you in the right spot. I'm sure. Cause we just want to help people like us. I mean, that's what gets, that's what the main thing is, is like, I love to see people who help people like me. I, I People helped me when I had a gambling addiction and, you know, I didn't reach out a lot, but when I reached out, I was helped and I just sort of want to pay that back. I mean, there's, there's not going to be a, 
a generation to look up to one day and you're going to have to be that generation that people look up to and ask for help. And so it's just easier to offer it up now. And so I, I hope, I hope people reach out and um, I, I think your podcast is wonderful. And again, I can't thank you enough for doing it. And thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Just, I love talking about this and I love to do these other podcasts where I don't have to worry about, it's funny. I host it, but I'm like, I don't want to do work. Um, <laughs> this is so much fun yeah. to just sit and talk with you. So thank you so much, Christina. Yeah. And I, I'm sure most people listening to this, they, they're very familiar with your all in addictive podcast. And so, um, how many, let me ask you this real quick. How many years have you been doing it? Uh, January will be seven years. Okay. Um, but there was, I mean, I'm, I, there was a year in there where I think I did like one or two episodes. So, you know, I just, it was, it was one of those moments. I'm like, I just want to walk away. I just want to walk away. Yeah. Um, what I realized at that time was how much talking about my gambling addiction is helping me not gamble. And so, like you said earlier, it's been my recovery tool and it's been wonderful for me to, to be able to have these conversations, uh, and learn about myself. I'm not always quick to learn. It takes me a long time, but, um, eventually I come around. And so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. We've been, well, seven years and episode two, well, you were on episode 256 today. That'll be out later today. So, yeah, well, and I think too, it's great listening to the different podcasts because I learn something all the time, like a different perspective, like, you know, on and that's, well, that was always my hope yeah. is that other people would come on and talk. Cause I, my, my shit runs dry, you know, my eventually like, yeah, you said that three episodes ago, dude move on. And I forget that. Like, I'm just talking. And so uh, I love when other people come on and share their stories and share their hopes and dreams. And even people who work in the field, even just somebody working in public health, come and talk about your experience. Even if it's not with gambling addiction, if it's with addiction in general, come let us learn. We can learn from people with other addictions. And so definitely um, I've, I think in the end, I've thoroughly enjoyed my experience talking and meeting so many people like, look, you and I are talking now. Yeah. And, and that just goes to show me, like, I, I, I'm not going to call you a new person, but new people enter when you're sitting in GA and a new person comes in the room, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Cause one, you realize, oh, gambling's still very bad and I don't need to go back. But two, like you can kind of see yourself in that new person and, and what their questions are and, and what they expect to get out of the group. And so it's, it, this has been a lovely experience that you would not, I mean, it wouldn't be my hope to get a gambling addiction and then have to talk about it a lot. Yeah. It, you know, if I could do this all over again, wouldn't be the route. But um, now that this is my life, I, I really do enjoy the connections that I've made. And I know that people say the opposite of addiction is connection. And so that's basically the podcast has just been my recovery tool. And it's been a lovely way to meet people doing this work like yourself. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I hope to say like, you're that, that guy that's, you know, been in the program 10 years and comes to a meeting every week. So I hope that you stick with your podcast and you're kind of that, that that's your recovery meeting for the week. And, and, you know, 10 years down the road, you're still, you're still a great voice, you know, for, for the newcomers coming in. So, um, you know, it's important. It's an important message. Uh, so I guess with that, we'll just go ahead and, and call it, call it an episode. So sounds good. Thank you, Christina. Thanks.